0: Psalm 15, let's get into the Word of God here. And we've got six verses before us, which is good because I've got 37 minutes. Actually, five verses, but these are, these are packed. These verses are packed full of truth. So let's read them together and then dive into this. A Psalm of David. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor... Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money as usury, nor takes a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Again, we look at another Psalm of David here, and I'll talk about David in a a minute, but I want to just dive right into the first verse where he's talking about abiding, he's talking about dwelling. To abide, it means to keep, it means to stay. To dwell, it means to reside or to live, you know, a, in, in a certain place. And notice what he says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? And um, at this time, this would be speaking of the holy hill, is speaking of Zion, it's speaking of Jerusalem. That's the holy hill when you read about it in Scripture. And we do know that during the millennial rule of Christ after His second coming, that the Lord's going to rule and reign from Zion for a thousand years. And then we read that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and there'll be a new Jerusalem, that heaven will come down to earth. And for eternity, the Lord will will dwell there in Zion and will dwell there with Him. When it speaks of the tabernacle, it's really referring to the Holy of Holies, that place where the Lord dwells, that place where we can go through Christ's death and resurrection through that veil being torn in two and Him atoning for our sins. And so David asking this question about abiding, about dwelling. Now in the context of this, we need to understand this psalm isn't written to tell people how they can be saved because that's the first step, obviously, in having a relationship with the Lord, to be able to dwell in His presence, to be able to abide, to be able to have fellowship with Him. We need to get born again. Because our sin separates us from him. And that was the case in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. In the Old Testament, they were saved by faith in the coming Messiah. Abraham was justified by faith. He wasn't justified through anything he did. Though he did many things that were uh, a picture and showed that his faith was real. But we know Abraham was justified by faith. So they were saved through faith in the coming Messiah to come. And once they had, you know, that faith. They had a relationship with the Lord. It was different than ours because their faith wasn't fulfilled. And so the Holy Spirit, we've talked about this a lot, would come upon prophets, priests, and kings. But the Holy Spirit did not indwell inside of them. We know for us Christ has come, amen. He's died for our sins. He is resurrected from the grave. And we are saved by grace through faith in Him. When we acknowledge that we are sinners and our sin separates us from Him. We repent, which basically is... Me saying, I'm going to turn from my own way. I'm turning from whoever I'm putting faith in to be my God. And everyone has a faith in a God, whether they know it or not. Even the atheist is trusting in his own belly. And it's saying, I'm turning from this to put faith in Jesus Christ. I'm putting faith in the God of the Bible. I'm putting faith in Him, and I'm wanting Him to direct me now. I want to come under His Lordship. And So by His grace, through faith in Him, faith and repentance, I really believe they're the same thing. And we receive salvation. But one thing we need to understand, and this psalm is written towards those that have salvation, um, that now daily we have a choice of whether we want to walk and abide in Christ and dwell in fellowship with Him. And this psalm is written to the believer. Um, It's written to the believer when it comes to his daily walk with the Lord. Does he now want to walk in his Christianity? Does he want to have fellowship with the Lord? Does he want to abide in Christ? And we're going to see as we look at this, there are certain things that can grieve that fellowship with the Lord. And there's other things that draw us deeper into that. And this psalm lists several of these things that either draw us deeper into that fellowship, that closeness of walk with Christ, or like the church of Laodicea. I mean, it's the church of Laodicea, but Jesus is outside, And he's knocking and he's saying, you know what, if you open that door, I'll come and dine with you and you with me. And we can enter into that fellowship together. Now, that fellowship is a good thing. And David desired that fellowship, though it looked differently for him than for us on this side of the cross, but he desired it. And as I was considering this abiding in the tabernacle and dwelling in his holy hill. And praise God, the day's gonna come when it isn't even gonna be a struggle. There's not even gonna be the flesh wrestling with this. We're just gonna we're just gonna bask in the tabernacle and the holy hill forever, and it's gonna be glorious. But listen to what David said in Psalm 8410 uh, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And notice who may dwell in your holy hill versus dwelling in the tents of the wicked. And listen, there's been times in my life as a follower of Christ where There have been days where I should have been dwelling in the holy hills for to speak, but I found myself dwelling in the tent of the wicked. And there was a 10-year period in my life where I dwelt, maybe longer than that, in the tent of the wicked. And and in the tent of the wicked, there's some pleasurable things, but guess what? It only lasts for a season. And sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it, it's death. And David is saying, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in that tent. In verse 11, he said there, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed be the man who trusts in you. Notice the difference. Dwelling in the tent of the wicked versus on the holy hill in his tabernacle in fellowship with the Lord. It is so much better. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Blessed is the man who is found in that place. But again, as a believer, we can quench the work of the Spirit of God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can quench that fellowship that is available to us. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And then again Jesus said in John 15.5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And we can be found Christians with faith in the Lord, but not be found abiding in Him, but instead dwelling in the tents of the wicked. And I'll tell you one thing about a believer in the tent of the wicked, he can't enjoy his Savior and he can't even enjoy his sin. It's a miserable place to be. Now, there's some practical things that are talked about here that, again, affect our walks. And once we get to the end of this, because we're going to look at these things and you might say, how do I do this? At the end of this, we're going to see how we can do this. And we'll get some of that along the way here as well. But notice what he says here. First of all, and again, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and dwell in your holy hill? It's talking about that fellowship with the Lord. Well, off the bat, he puts he who walks uprightly. And so this has to do with our daily walk. And our walk, you know, it it speaks of where we go, what we do, how we think, how we're living our lives. That's what our walk is. It's one of those Christian words, right? Oh, he's got a strong walk, or her walk's not good right now. You know, people in the world are like, what are you talking about? But we know what that means, right? Our walk with the Lord, our communion with Him. So, who may dwell in the tabernacle, or or abide in the tabernacle of the Holy Hill? Who walks uprightly? And when I think about walking, and and this could be a whole study tonight, and you could spend weeks on it, but some things really came to my mind as I was just kind of waiting on the Lord and considering this, you know, laying it out before the Lord. And when I thought about walking uprightly, the first thing that came to my mind was 2 Corinthians 5, 7. that says what? We walk by faith, not by sight. And uh, to abide in the Lord, to have fellowship with the Lord, He has called us to a walk of faith. Faith in what? Faith in His Word, trusting in His Word seeing what God has called us to and saying I want to walk according to his word and even when on my end I think I got a better idea than the Lord has anyone ever been there before? me and a couple of us I got a better idea than the Lord but it's like no by faith I need to crucify this and I need to walk in what God has called me to because his way is better trusting in him, leaning on him really when you think about it I I really believe that every act of sin is a lack of faith. It's something outside of the will of God, and we're saying instead of trusting in the Lord, I'm going to trust in this. Uh, You know, think about a a temptation to drink. Oftentimes, what's that driven by? Either an escape, right? I want to take refuge in it, or I want to enjoy my life through it, or I want to, you know what, be blessed through it and the lord you know what i mean the, the the bible says you know what drink but don't get drunk and yet oftentimes it's easy to drink and get drunk the lord wants us to be sober minded he wants us to be filled with the holy spirit so to say listen instead of engaging in this by faith i'm going to trust in the lord and when we say i'm going to trust in the lord we begin to take our thoughts captive and absolutely the lord will empower us to do that and you could go down the whole road i mean i run into people all the time they're in a place where they're shacked up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend and and they will even acknowledge it's sin, and it's like, well, the Lord doesn't want you in that place, and by faith, He wants you to step out. He wants you to walk uprightly, and you know what? I've seen many people say, yes, I, I believe that, and I'm going to step out, and every time I see the Lord make provision for them, and yet I've seen others saying, but you know what? I don't want to do that because I don't see where I'm going to have provision or you know what my relationship might end and all these different reasons and really what it comes down to is not walking by faith and sometimes when we're called to walk by faith it can it can seem impossible right and incredibly difficult because we can dig ourselves even big holes but again this is talking about that fellowship with the lord and is it not better to have fellowship with the lord and have the whole world against you when I think about walking uprightly, how can we not think about walking in humility? You know, at Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not walking with a prideful heart, but with a heart of humility, giving God praise and glory and honor, being teachable by the Word of God. And we know the Scripture says if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, what will He do? He'll lift us up. Lift us up into what? Lift us up into fellowship with Him. I mean, he, he, he reigns above, right? So if he's going to lift you up, it's not lifting you up above his shoulders. It's lifting you up into that fellowship. And I think that pride is probably one of the things that that, 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 that grieves the Holy Spirit the quickest. I mean, Adam in the garden, really it was pride to a large degree that stumbled him. I want to be like God. I, I, is, that sounds prideful. Can we all agree with that, right? <laughs> And so he walks uprightly. And then, you know what? And again, this could go on and on, but you think about walking in the Spirit. And Galatians speaks about walking in the Spirit. And what's, What does that mean? To walk in the Spirit, it kind of goes like walking in faith. To be walking in the Spirit means to be governed by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit moved upon men when the Word of God was written. So it's being governed by the Word. And, and some of these will cross over a bit, but it's that picture of the person that says, I want to take my thoughts captive to the Word of God. I want to have it before me. And when we walk in the Spirit with the Word before us, we get empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing that God has called you to do if you step out in faith that He won't empower you to be able to do. He doesn't say do this and then good luck on it on your own. But absolutely, when we step out in faith and we're governed by the Spirit of God, the Lord meets us. I mean, all of us before have have stepped out into things and then you step back and you, I don't know how I did that. Well, you stepped out in faith and the Lord empowered you to do that. Notice next he says, and works righteousness, and righteousness would be speaking of those things that are upright before him, those things that are right before God. There's a lot of people that are doing things, and I see more of this in this world that is just so upside down, that they do works, and they say, I'm doing a work unto the Lord, and you're like, this isn't even a righteous work, this is unbiblical what you're doing. And, and I could go off on a tangent on that, but I won't do that because we've talked about that a lot of times. But this is talking about doing a righteous work. So we're, we're, we are walking in, again, what God has called us to do and, and according to His Word. And it's really a thing where we're not just hearers of the Word, but we're doers of the Word. We're going out and there's works in our lives. That idea of faith, it's not, I, I believe Faith is seen in our actions when we step out and we actually go out and we do. I mean, it's James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And it's easy to fall into a place where we got a lot of knowledge and maybe we're even studying a lot of things. And we think, boy, I got this great fellowship going on with the Lord, but I'm not doing any works of righteousness. I'm not actually going out and ministering to anybody. I'm not... Using my gifts, and think of the church of Ephesus there in in Revelation. I mean, they were in a place where they were contending for the faith kind of on the intellectual level and exposing those that said they were apostles and weren't, but they had left their first love. And when you leave your first love, it's going to be seen oftentimes in how you're loving others, and a lot of these works revolve around ministering to others. And so when we're just hearers of the word, not doers, it's going to affect our fellowship with them. It really is. And, you know, tonight if the Lord is pressing on your heart to step out of faith and to get out and go do something, I can't encourage you enough, you know, to go do it. If it's biblical and it's of Him and and He's, you know, don't harden your heart if you hear the Spirit talking today, right? And this would also be works driven out of love. You know, we're not talking about works of righteousness. Works of righteousness are not works done for show or self-promotion. I don't see too many times in the Gospels where Jesus has a good fellowship going on with the Pharisees. There's a few here and there that humble their heart and the Lord has wonderful fellowship with them, but for the most part, it's like this, and it was these guys preaching a false works-based gospel, but it was also in all their works. Why did they do it? To glorify themselves, right? They would give their tithe and they'd blow a trumpet, hey, everyone check me out, look what I'm giving here. And they would fast and so they wouldn't shave or comb their hair so everyone knew that they were fasting. So a work of righteousness is a work driven by love. And you know, you think of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. And it goes through a whole list of works which include even being a martyr. And Can you imagine that? Someone is a martyr but they did it out of love and is that really a work of righteousness? biblically it's really not and and that hinders fellowship with the Lord I think it also could be a work done begrudgingly well we got to go out and serve Jesus this weekend you know I got to tithe and whatnot the elders will come and collect it if I don't well no that won't happen here I've heard of places where that does happen it won't happen here but you know he wants us to be joyful givers right And then notice what he says next and speaks the truth in his heart. And I think this is huge. Speaks the truth in his heart. And when we think of truth, what do we think of? It's God's word is true. That is is where truth is found. Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. In other places it talks about not taking away from his word. And there's a lot of... Christians that they practice salad bar Christianity. And if you're not familiar with it, what it is is you take the word of God and you lay it out like a salad bar and they go through and they're like, a little bit of that. I don't want that. I'll take some of these bacon bits over here. I, I don't want any of, you know, I don't, I don't want any of those tomatoes, but I want this and that and the other. And, and they don't speak truth in their heart. The Laodicean church, you know, Laodicea it means man's opinion. And the mixture there of the hot and cold there isn't the picture of someone on fire for the Lord and someone backslidden. It's the mixture of man's opinion with God's word. And God says, I'm going to vomit that out of my mouth. He speaks truth in his heart. So it's an individual that wants to stand in the truth of the word of God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And so we want to have fellowship with the Lord. We need to speak truth in our hearts. Measuring things up to the word of God, truthfully. And I think this also speaks of being truthful concerning our own lives and in just circumstances in general. Because we can be pretty good liars, can't we? I'll speak for myself, I can. We can be incredibly dishonest concerning ourselves, our circumstances, you know what, situations and so forth. You know, some of those things, we really don't know where the truth maybe always lies, and that's where it's a good time for a Christian to say, search me, O God, and know me, try me, and know my anxious thoughts. You search out the truth, Lord. See if there's any hurtful way in me. If there is, remove it and leave me in the everlasting way. But we got to be a people of truth. And and unfortunately, I mean, again, it's easy for us to deal in untruths. And I think it's easy for us to even have the truth of god's word over here but when it comes to our own lives and how it applies we blind our eyes to it you know there is some truth when it comes to people getting delivered out of addiction there's a tr- I, I think there's a big element of truth and it starts by admitting you have a problem right i mean we gotta say we admitted we were sinners right Oh, I want to come to Jesus, but I don't want to admit I'm a sinner. Well, that's coming to Jesus. You admit you're a sinner. That's why you need Jesus. And if anyone's saying you need Jesus, and it's not because of sin. They're saying because it'll be your bank account in the sky. That's not the gospel. And so it started that fellowship by being honest, and it continues by us being honest with Him and being honest with who we are and and that can be incredibly fearful for a lot of, or frightening for a lot of people because a lot of times in our dishonesties and being dishonest about the circumstance, we take it, a, we, we hide in that as a refuge. And it takes a humble heart to admit, yeah, you know what? I got an issue there I, I need to deal with. And the Lord blesses that. He really does. He he, he blesses it when we humble our heart and we're truthful with them and we say, I got an issue here. Now, sadly, and I read this verse often because I think it's so pertinent to the day we're living in, kind of with that said of the word, but also even of our own lives, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I charge you therefore, brethren, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, notice here, preach the word. Or stand in the truth, proclaim the truth, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Then verse 3. You're familiar with it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So they say, we don't want the truth. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they heap up for themselves teachers. So I don't want the truth of God's word, and I don't even want to deal truthfully about what's going on in my own life. I just want my... Ego scratch, so to speak. I want my own view of things scratched. And it says they'll turn their they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we need to be a people that are again walking uprightly, works of righteousness, speaking truth in your heart, dealing truthfully. You're like, oh, this list is already getting too big for me. I. I can't handle this. We're 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 getting down the road here. Verse 3. Notice he does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. I think of James 3. In verse 9, it says, About our tongue. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring Send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevines, uh, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Have you ever been guilty of coming to an assembly of Christians and worshiping God, and then as you drive away, You're talking bad about half the people you're worshiping in there with. Not necessarily talking about maybe the sermon and lining it up with the Word of God, because there's a difference between testing all things and and lining up with, with the truth of the Word of God. A lot of people say, well, that's, you know, wrong. You shouldn't judge anything anyone's being said. And I say, well, then you're judging me that I'm judging, and so you're doing the very thing that you're telling me not to do. But have we ever left and backbit someone where we're kind to their face and then we turn around and we trash them behind their back? Listen, I've done it before. It's the tongue, it sets you know everything on fire. Who can tame the tongue? But I think the importance is that we catch ourselves when we're doing that and we say, Lord, forgive me. Doing evil to a neighbor. I think this speaks of plotting it for our own selfish gain and advantage. Taking up a reproach against our friend where we're using somebody. We're just friends with someone for what we can get from them. That grieves the Holy Spirit of God. I'll be careful with my words, but I have seen many Christians over the years not care about certain people. But as soon as they start a certain business, now now all of a sudden they're all interested in someone else's life. And I'll leave it at that. But I've seen people go in that, and without judging their heart, I've seen their lives incredibly change, not for the better, but for the worse, because I think that sickens the heart of God, to say, I don't care about you until I have a product you might be interested in that I'm going to profit from if you purchase and get involved in. Now, again, I'm not making a blanket judgment. Some people believe in the product they have and they really believe it's going to be to someone's aid. But my struggle is there's something better than that product called Jesus Christ. And I never saw before where you were interested in sharing him with these same individuals. Maybe you're saying, Steve, you're being too judgmental. Look at, I see it and I know we all can be guilty of it. Using people for our gain and advantage. I've been guilty of it before. I think a lot of times the church can be guilty of it. The church in general, they want to boaster their attendance and their bank account. So, you know, they use flattering words and so forth, but in the meantime, they really don't care about those individuals. It's part of the fallen nature. We're selfish people. Outside of Christ, I'm a selfish individual. I am. And it needs to be, di- you need to die daily to it, Right? our pastor yes verse 4 in whose eyes a vile person is despised but he honors those who fear the Lord a vile person is is someone who is a they're a willful sinner They, they, they live their life in rebellion against God And we're exposed to much of that today. Do you understand that that grieves the work of the Holy Spirit in our life? I think there's some things here we don't think about oftentimes. A vile person is a person whose actions grieve the Lord. And when we don't despise or abhor those evil deeds... We need to understand that that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And think about all the individuals that we, if I named a name, we would all know them because of their popularity through media and whatnot, and how many of them are individuals that just are involved in vile actions. And are we in a place where we're despising or abhorring evil, or are we celebrating them? I think about it, how many times have we been guilty of celebrating sinners? And I, I think there's absolutely a place of enjoying gifts that God gives to people and so forth. So this isn't a, a, a thing of legalism, but where we, again, maybe even envy the wicked or we celebrate vile actions. And in doing that, we even maybe chalk it up well, I got freedom in the Lord and I can enjoy this, but is this. Is this, is this pleasing the heart of God? And when we think of abiding as such, it's fellowship. And the Lord says, I want you to fellowship with me and come in. And the Lord's looking at these things that He died for, He wants to save people from. And we're celebrating them versus despising it. Romans twelve nine let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And I think this is an area where all of us would do well to do some inventory. Do I despise the deeds of a vile person? Now, again, we're to love the sinner and hate the sin, and we take this in context. The Lord loved us while we were sinners, and He died for us. He loved the world and dying for the world, but He despises sin. And there are many people, their whole life revolves around sin and their actions, and they bring that into everything they do. So many entertainers, so many musicians... And I really think a lot of people are being led astray by those things, because I've seen a lot of folks that that admire people that are vile, and it starts to lead them in the direction that they're going. And again, I'm, I'm not here to judge hearts, but I've been around long enough to see so many of these things play out, where people start getting infatuated with certain celebrities and so forth, and the next thing you know, they got their same viewpoint when it comes to things of the Lord and things that the Bible are clear about. I mean, how many Christians are in a place, and, and this, this, this I'm saying this without being legalistic in it, so I, I, I throw this out with that in the first place, but how many Christians are in a place where they're accepting of homosexuality because they watch Ellen every afternoon? Like, I can't watch Ellen anymore. I didn't say you, can wa- you can't You can watch it. You watch whatever you want. And that's an incredibly funny woman. He's very gifted. Absolutely, those gifts come from God. Amen? I don't watch the show myself. I don't... If I'm going to watch something, it's not going to be that. But I know so many believers or... Professing believers of Christ that throw rainbows up now on their their social media, and I know it's in part because they're watching that every day. Her making light of it, her saying the state of Mississippi is uh, you know what full of hate because they pass a law to protect religious freedoms, and doing it in a joking way. And I'm not saying to despise Ellen. We need to pray for her. She's a gifted woman. But are we despising all the jokes and all the political stuff that is just completely antichrist that's destroying our country? Then we say, and now I'm gonna go spend time with the Lord and my like, quiet time over here. That grieves the Spirit of God. And, and le- we're living in an age unlike any other where we're inundated with this stuff. And it's why we need to speak truth in our hearts. And if we are watching something, let's take our thoughts captive at the minimum, amen. And and God gives us things to enjoy and Listen, there's a place for entertainment and such, but take your thoughts captive versus being brainwashed by this stuff. There's so many people that are just brainwashed by vile individuals that practice vile deeds that hate God. And they do that while God loves them and His long-suffering, wanting to see them to repent. But notice here, he, who honors, he honors those, but He honors those who fear the Lord. In other words, God wants us to give honor where it's due. Someone that fears God, someone that's willing to be bold for the truth, someone that, again, the world is not happy with and the world would shame, but has honor in the sight of God and how they're living their lives. It's the opposite of that. And now notice verse 5, or the end of verse 4, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This is huge. I think oftentimes this is hugely overlooked and downplayed in our culture because we're living in a day where a lot of people don't stand behind their word. They say, I'm going to do something, I'm going to be somewhere, and they, they, they not only don't give a courtesy call, they don't even show up. That's what this speaks of. You want to have, let me ask you tonight, do you want to have, is your aim to have a really bad witness and to grieve the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you how to do it. Don't keep your word. When you make a commitment to something, and it's a little bit of a, it's, it's going to be hard, a little bit of stretch, just back out and say, I can't do it. And your witness will go to pot, and you'll grieve the Holy Spirit over and over again. He swears to his own hurt, and it does not change. In other words, he makes a commitment, and even when it hurts, even when he or she has to be stretched, they go out and they do it. Now listen, there's going to be some times where maybe you say you can do something, and it just becomes impossible. And you say, I'm sorry, and, and, and you know what, you, you deal with it. But you don't just don't show up. Th- th- this is what you get when you get a, a culture that has been robbed of character because of vile things. And and you better understand there's been a plot against this nation and against most of the nations of the world to make nations people that rejoice in vile things because your character goes. And then you become a people no one keeps their word because it's. A, a nation built on lies and being entertained by lies and everything else. Jesus Christ said in Matthew five thirty seven, but let your yes be yes and your no no for whatever, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And he talks here about not making oaths, but he's also speaking here of when you say yes, guess what? It's yes. You show up. I've seen people, I've seen certain people's lives radically changed. They came in, they got counsel, and I said, listen, if you do this one thing, your life will radically change. I guarantee it. You're a man who does not keep your word. Start keeping your word and watch your life radically change. And I've seen guys within one year of their life incredibly change as far as their job, their relationships, their walk with the Lord. It's night and day because all of a sudden they started keeping their word. They started doing what they said they were going to do. But oftentimes today, we think, well, I don't have to do that, and we don't realize it's grieving our walk with the Lord. And maybe we're not even aware of it. Well, that's why we have Scripture here. You want to abide in His tabernacle? You want to dwell in His holy hill? Then keep your word even when it hurts. Verse 5, notice here, he says, he does not put out his money as usury, And does not take a bride against the innocent. And this speaks, again, usury is when there's someone in need and you take advantage of them in that need. Uh, All the credit cards in our country, they're guilty of usury. When Montel Williams comes on at late night and he wants to, oh, you know, I'm here to help you. Call in. And then you look on the bottom and it says the interest rate's 25.5%. That grieves the Holy Spirit of God. That is ripping off and taking advantage of somebody, no matter how they got in that circumstances. That def- desperately needs five hundred dollars for whatever reason they use it, and you say, "I'm, I'm going to get about two grand from you, twenty-five hundred, maybe three grand from this five hundred dollar loan." Just so you know, all forms of gambling are usury. Lotto, the chumash casino, Vegas—it's all a form of usury. Because when you win, you are winning off of either someone else's addiction or someone else's disobedience. Because God said, go work for your money. Don't get it off the scratchers. And I guarantee you, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. You're like, we just do it for fun. I'm not going to be legalistic about it, but it is usury. All those casinos, how do they make their money? Usury. They always win, just so you know. And it grieves the spirit of God. I mean, these are things we don't think about often. doesn't take a bribe against the innocent. In other words, walks in justice. When there's a circumstance, they don't lie about it for their own selfish gain. They're truthful about it, even if it might hurt them or might make them to be unpopular. And then notice what it says here, and we close about all this list here. He who does these things shall never be moved. Now again, you how can I do any of this? These things help us to abide in the Lord. And you say, how do I do these things? The answer is abide in the Lord. Because <laughs> I can't do this stuff on my own. Maybe some of it to a degree, but I can't. I need to draw near to him. I need to be found a man of prayer. Lord, I need your help in this because I'm a selfish individual. And there's part of me that is drawn to vile things and being entertained by them and rejoicing in them. It's part of my fallen nature. And I need it crucified. Because the more I feed it, the more of it I want. So I need to come before you in prayer. And I need to get your word in my heart. That when this stuff comes up, I take my thoughts captive. This is what this says, but this is where this leads. God's word says this, it leads to life. I'm I'm gonna stand in the truth of God's word and put this down. That's what spiritual warfare is. We need to be a people of worship. Who are we giving praise to? Who are we giving glory to? A lot of this revolves around, again, godly fellowship. Bad company corrupts good morals. You wanna hang out with users? You want to hang out with people who use people for merchandise? That's going to be you. You just want to surround yourself and so many people today that can't even interact with people. They sit at home and they just surround themselves with video images of stuff that's just vile. And then they wonder why they're so empty and so messed up and do some of the things that they do. We got a fellowship with like-minded people and Jesus said all the more as we see the day of his return approaching because <laughs> with each day we get closer evil men and imposters grow worse and worse that's the word of God that's not pastor Steve that's the word of God and I think in this we need to have humble hearts with the Lord where we where we're truthful with them we're messing up we're just Lord help me hey, listen you can go from pride any of these things to to right back into fellowship by saying Lord God, help me. Didn't we read that a few weeks ago in the Psalms? Help, Lord. Two words, help, Lord, but out of an honest heart. God, I need your help in this. You know, this guy did me wrong, and I want to talk smack about him. I don't want to put an ice pick in his eye. You're like, that's getting out there, but listen... The fallen nature is wicked, make no mistake about it, and all of us are capable of anything. And the minute you say, not me, you've been bamboozled. The flesh is wicked. And then notice here, he shall never be moved. Matthew 7, 24, we'll we'll finish with this. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. He'll never be moved. Why? Because he's standing on the rock. Let's stand up and close in prayer right now. Lord God, we bless you. We thank you for this time we've had tonight of worship and prayer. What a blessing, God, hearing a, a room full of folks just praying for each other and, Lord, praying for one another to you, Lord. And we thank you for your scriptures here, God. Lord, we want to we abide in you, Lord. And, and Lord, I, I know this word isn't to put a heavy yoke on us, but this word here is to bring liberation and freedom. And, Lord, I know no doubt that, Lord, some of this truth hurts and it cuts, and Lord, I imagine there's been some cuts here tonight, the word being a sharp two-edged sword, but let us remember, God, you, you cut us to bring healing. You cut us to take things out, to put us in a better place. And so I would pray, Lord, everything brought here tonight would be tested by the word of God. I believe it's been rightly divided, but Lord, I pray it would be tested by the word of God, and we won't be a people that resist your word, but Lord, we yield to it knowing that you're the giver of life. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we need faith in that, Lord. Give us faith. And listen, if you're here tonight, you haven't called upon Jesus, we started with the gospel. We're sinners, and we need the Savior. We need Christ Jesus. Our sin separates us from God. We're under condemnation. Without Christ, we're all going to hell. But Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, and he stood in your place to take the wrath of you upon himself. Now the question is, will you receive that salvation? Will you ask him to be your Lord or not? And that's the decision you have to make, and it's an eternal decision. The wonderful news is the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and that is you, whoever. I don't care what you've done, what you've dragged in here, what's been put upon you, what you've participated in, what rituals, what you have tattooed on your body. It doesn't matter. Humble your heart and call upon Christ, and He will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will be your Lord. He will give you the Holy Spirit. He will begin a good work in you and he'll be faithful to complete it. And you can call on him right now. I encourage you to do it. And if you tell someone. We bless you tonight. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.